just wake up excited on Sunday mornings. <laughs> I do. Every single Sunday morning, I just get fired up. Even last night, um, I come here uh, in the peace and quiet of the empty building, and I prep on, on Saturday nights. And, uh, and, and when I'm prepping, I'm just very ADD. I, I got about one hour of straight attention span on anything, right? And then I got to take a break. And so the way I take a break is I just, I leave my office and I come in here and I just start praying around the auditorium, praying for you guys, praying for the, um, the service. And uh, just last night, man, I just felt God speaking that he, he wants to do something in our midst today. And that um, this, in a, in a moment, all of a sudden, this can shift from just an average um, Sunday. This can just be a moment um, or we can make a memory. This can all of a sudden become something exceptional. This can become something that God puts his hands on. So if you would, just right now, raise your expectation for the next, we got about 40 minutes together. Can you raise your expectation for the next 40 minutes of what God will do? Not just in my sermon or my preaching, no, 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 but in his presence. And we'll have a time to respond here at the end. And we're in this series that, um, again, I just entitled it Spiritual Disciplines because that's what we're talking about. And uh, if you've missed any of the weeks, I encourage you to go back, especially the introductory message on why spiritual disciplines, what are spiritual disciplines, what's the point, why are we doing this? And, and the reality is uh, we didn't call it spiritual practices because we believe that it takes some discipline to build your faith, that there's actually some work involved on our part in a life of faith of serving Jesus. And uh, we are not made righteous by our spiritual disciplines. No, we are made righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus. But that if we would actually practice the way of Jesus, how he lived his life, if we would actually take his model of how he uh, led his life, that we could actually grow our faith exponentially if we would apply some of these disciplines. And uh, the problem is, though, with spiritual disciplines, the tension is that it requires a level of selflessness, right? Because all of a sudden, you're taking your faith from something that I do when it feels good, and all of a sudden, you're taking your faith into a space where you say, I'm going to do this even when I don't feel like it, right? And, and that's not always awesome. I had no clue how selfish I was until I became a dad, right? I had no idea. I thought I was pretty, pretty solid, pretty good, pretty humble. I, I realized I was pretty selfish first when I married Renee. How many of you know when you get a spouse, you're like, oh, I'm really self-centered. All my time is no longer my own. I got to die to myself and put your needs first. Okay, I can do that and started finding that flow. And then all of a sudden you have kids and kids make you die to yourself real fast. <laughs> How many parents in the place? How many parents in the place? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, like day one, you're like, oh, they're in bed at 7 p.m. I guess I'm just, I'm in now. Like, I'm in for the night at 7 p.m. What do you want to do, babe? Um, this is my life now. And then all of a sudden, you, your kids start to get older, and this has become a real problem for me because I'm a, um, I'm not necessarily a foodie. I'm a sweetie. Like, I like sweets. I want sugar. I want goodies. I want, uh, I love chewy candy. Come on, who's, who's just thinks trolley is one of the best brands ever invented? Trolley, whoever it is. I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's Willy Wonka that came up with it. I don't know who came up with trolley bright crawlers. But, oh, they are anointed by the Lord for candy making. It's so good. And, um. And all of a sudden now, I've got three little people who like sugar just as much as me. Now, this poses a tension in the household because what I found, though, is like their, their, their palate isn't like as complex as mine. You know, like I've developed a palate. Like I don't just want like Kemp's ice cream. 
I want Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You know, like, like I'm going to take it a step higher. Um, lately, actually, I just found this out. Are you ready for this? Can I change your entire life? Minnesota, I'm going to change your entire life. Target now stocks frozen balls of Sweet Martha's cookie dough. <gasps> Sweet Martha's cookies from the State Fair. You can now buy at Target. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, and so what I found, though, is how selfish I am with sweets. Because I have every single day, you could come to my house, and I have a stash somewhere in my house that my kids know nothing about. Like, my kids don't need Sweet Martha's cookie dough. No, 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 no. They could have, like, frozen sugar water, and we call it a popsicle, and they're fine with it. You know what I mean? Like, I, they don't need my Sweet Martha's. They don't need my Ben and Jerry's. Um, the other day, actually, I was baking cookies. And uh, so when Sweet Martha's, when do we bake it? After 8 p.m., after the kids are in bed. That is not for them. That is not their treat. That is my treat. And, 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 and what we do, you, you, you only bake the ones you're going to eat. It's kind of like a sin to, like, have day-old Sweet Martha's. Like, you got to have it right fresh in the moment. And I was starting to pull the cookies out, and Willa came up from downstairs. And I immediately slammed those cookies back in there. I slammed that oven shut, and she goes, Daddy, what are you making? I'm like, nothing. I am making nothing. There is nothing to see here. You go back to bed. You know, like... Most parents, it's like, oh, honey, come on up. Were you scared? Do you want a cookie? Here's some milk. No, 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 no. This is sweet Martha's we're talking about. You go back to bed. There is nothing to see. Your, your nose is wrong. That is not what you smell. You do not smell cookies, Willa. You go to sleep because I'm selfish, right? Like, I like my goodies. And we all, we, we could all go and say, hey, I got this one thing like, I don't share. Like, when I have this, this is mine. But at the end of the day, each of us know there's a little bit of you, right, that has a selfish nature. There's a little bit of us that, like, wants to do things our ways, and it's something we fight, something we, we battle. And the spiritual discipline we're going to talk about today, this is actually really important to be able to look past yourself in order to do this one. It's essential that you can look beyond what's going on in your natural and actually engage the supernatural. It's really important for you to look beyond your circumstances. It's really important for you to look beyond those things because today we're talking about the spiritual discipline of worship. And some of you might think, oh, that's uh, discipline. Is it really take discipline to worship? Let me expound. Let me help you understand the spiritual discipline of worship. Because a lot of us, when we say worship, all we think about is only the corporate worship moments, which is, this is worship, right? But I want to dive way deeper into the topic of worship and not just talk about what happened in the last 15 minutes as a congregation while we worship, but what does a lifestyle of worship look like? What does it look like to worship in spirit and in truth? What does it look like to really worship? But we have to get past ourself. Worship, it tests our focus because worship can't be about you. If it's about you, it's not worship of God because worship's all about God. We initiate and then God reciprocates that love because the difficulty here is that really at the end of the day, worship is, it can be complex. Why? Because we actually see biblically there are pleasing and unpleasing acts of worship we can do. There is acceptable worship and there is unacceptable worship. Even you start back in Genesis between Cain and Abel, one worshiped God with an offering that was pleasing to God because he gave God his best. The other one made a sacrifice that was unpleasing to God because he gave him the leftovers. 
And there is right at the beginning of, of the text, we start to see this established, that there is pleasing worship and there is unpleasing worship. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that, then, thus, let us offer to God acceptable. Acceptable. Come on, church. We are after acceptable worship. Our pursuit is acceptable worship with reverence and awe. There's a clue. For our God is a consuming fire. No, I love this consuming fire part. I love this. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you're like me. I, I'm a little bit of a pyro. Like, I wouldn't call myself like a pyromaniac, but like, I like, I like fire. And, but I'm the kind of guy, I want to camp mostly. Mostly why I want to go camp is because I want to sit around a bonfire at night. Oh, I can, I mean, I can burn anything all night long. I'll just sit there throwing little sticks in. I play with the fire. I'm turning the fire. But mostly, there is some real awe when you watch flames. It, it, it sort of engages this wonder, right? And, and, and even though I'm the kind of guy who's so ADD, I have to, like, take a break from sermon prep, I can sit there and stare at fire for hours on end. Why? Because it's always changing. It's all consuming. I can watch what, can I burn this? What's going to happen if I put this in there? But there's some wonder when you stare at fire, when you look at flames. And I want to tell you, church, that we cannot have acceptable worship without wonder. You, you will not be able to worship effectively if you don't have some awe and some reverence, if you don't have some wonder. Wow, look at this. Look at this. Look at God. Look at who he is. If, I don't, if I'm not in awe of who he is, if all of a sudden it becomes a mundane practice and it becomes basic and I lose my wonder, all of a sudden, worship becomes really, really difficult. I actually believe there are some people here that the enemy has come for your wonder. And, and this is, I, I made fun of being a dad, and yet let me talk about something that's awesome being a dad, is revisiting the wonder in a child's eyes. Because they get this naturally. We went and uh, we, just before uh, we got into the crazy of relaunch, we chose to take our family to Wisconsin Dells. And we went to the Wilderness Water Park. And there's four water parks. And it's this huge maze. It's awesome in the winters because there's like nonstop stuff to do inside, right? We had this amazing weekend. It was so much fun. And it was an incredible time and made family memories. And there was huge wave pools and water slides and tube slides and all this stuff. And when we got back the next day, I said, Willa, Willa, she's our oldest. She's, she's almost six years old. I said, Willa, what was your favorite part? She goes, Daddy, the best part was the first time I was running in the hallway. And I was like, what? Wait, what? What? I, like, at first, I'm like, really? I just spent all that money in a hallway? Would have done it for you? Like, that would have been enough? Just a good hallway in a hotel? We could have gone to Holiday Inn, and that would have been okay with you? But then I, I started to ask some questions, and I started to understand. And what she began to express in her little five-year-old voice is the idea that that first time she was running in the hallway, her wonder was at its peak. She hadn't seen the water slides yet. 
She'd only seen pictures. She, she'd only hoped of what they could be. And when she was running in that hallway, her expectation and her hope was bursting at the seams. And that was the greatest moment of wonder she had that she could express. So her favorite moment was when the wonder was at the greatest because she hadn't fully discovered every single water park. She hadn't yet seen the pizza parlor. She hadn't yet had the treats or the ice cream. She had the whole trip to look forward to and running in that hallway. Her wonder was at its highest point. And I thought, man, what a beautiful moment to see. Hey, do we still have that wonder when we approach God? Like, I haven't seen all the water parks yet. I haven't seen. I want to taste and see that he is good. And I don't even know the fullness of his goodness because it's so much bigger, so much greater, so much higher than I could ever fathom. He is God. Are you kidding me? My wonder. I need awe and wonder and reverence of the reality that the God who created all of this loves me, loves me. Wonder helps to not just connect our mind, but it connects our heart. It connects our heart. Matthew 15, 7 through 11 says this, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips. This is Jesus speaking. Honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called to the crowd to him and said, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. He's saying, man, their, their worship is about rituals. Their worship, they've lost the wonder. It's become about do's and don'ts. And again, spiritual disciplines is not about doing, it's about being. It's about being with Jesus, and it's about being like Jesus. And we need the wonder. He's saying, hey, don't get to that place where everything just becomes turnkey, and I just show up, and I just raise my hands, and it just becomes this monotonous cycle. No, 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 no. We need our wonder because our God is a consuming fire. But we understand if you read the canon of scripture that a biblical theology of worship, it, it comes from the heart. It comes from the heart. It's not, um, it, it's not what, what, what comes out of their mouth. That is what defiles it. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. What comes out and out of the mouth, the heart speaks. It's the heart. It's the heart. What's your heart in worship? Why'd you show up to worship? What was your motivation? We need to have our wonder, but can I tell you that worship also, it's not about your personal wants. See, a lot of times what, what ends up happening is our desires in our heart, our personal wants, these things of the world that all of a sudden we decide we want, drives us to a place where we're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go to church and I'll worship, and maybe that worship will help me get my wants. Maybe that worship's going to help me get the things that I'm looking for. And so when you come from a place of your heart is just saying, hey, I'm, I'm stuck on these things of the world. I'm stuck on these things that I want. Rather than the wonder, all of a sudden, out of your heart, the mouth is going to speak and your worship gets corrupted. I wonder, can you worship when you don't get your way? Can you worship when you don't get your way? Well, I don't want to go to church. I had a bad week. I don't feel like worshiping God because I don't feel like he showed up for me this week. I feel like he kind of left me out in the lurch and didn't show up. It was a bad week at my job. It was a bad week with my family. It was a bad week for my marriage. So I don't know if I'm, I'm in the mood to worship. And the reality is, can I tell you, that, 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 that worship, 
It's, it cannot be circumstantial. See, circumstantial worship leads to circumstantial living. So I'm just going to base my relationship with God on how I feel or where I'm at. And there was an example of this in our own life that um, it's even a hard story for, 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 for me to tell. But I remember a moment where my wife Renee, and I can brag on her from stage because she's not the one doing it, where, where she showcased, it's still in my life, this is the truest moment of worship I've ever seen from a human being in my own personal life. And uh, we were newly married, and, um, and we actually, we, we got pregnant, and we weren't trying to get pregnant. And, uh, and we, we started on this journey of figuring out what it's going to look like to be pregnant and have this moment. And, and I remember we were starting to get so excited, we started telling friends and family, and, and it, we had our first appointment, and everything checked out good, and everything was looking awesome. And then all of a sudden we get to our 12-week appointment. This is the one where on the other side of the 12-week appointment, you say, hey, we're going to... We're going to tell the world we're pregnant. And we, again, we told our inner friends, and we show up to this hospital 12 weeks along, and they don't find a heartbeat. There's no heartbeat. And it was a horrible interaction, too, because the doctors were so merciless. They, they were so uncaring. They, they, they just were. That was our experience. But for us, we, we believe that that's a life. That's a, that's a life, that that, that that infant was a child. And, and that's our belief system. And so when we hear that there's no heartbeat, we, we're, we're, we're grieving a child. We, we, we lost a child. And I remember the doctor slipped off to go check out some more stuff. And, and, and I'll never forget, Renee went in the back room. And, and the worst news of her entire life, this is, this is the worst news we've ever encountered personally in our life. And all she could do was she dropped to her knees and she started worshiping. She started worshiping. Like, I'm sitting there, and I'm just rage. I mean, just anger. Like, my, my first reaction is, why God? How God? This is, what? What's happening? How could this be happening? We've given our life to you. We're serving you. Like, that's where my mind wants to go. And my wife leads us in this moment. She gets down on her knees, and she just starts worshiping God. And the presence of God filled that room. Filled that room, and for a, a, a very real sense, we understood that God draws near to the brokenhearted. And regardless of our circumstance, the the supernatural move of God started happening in that hospital room. And while we had a long journey ahead of us and a lot of healing and hard moments, in that moment, the worship changed the situation for us. Worship shifted what was going on in that room. And what the enemy was trying to use to kill, steal, and destroy, we knew God's going to use this as a testimony. He's going to use this as a story. Our worship shifts things, but not if it's circumstantial. Not if it's based on your wants and your desires. And look at the faithfulness of God and the three beautiful babies that we've been given. Look at what he's done to restore and the promises. There's so many layers to that story. But I just remember from my view watching her going, God, that's the truest form of worship I've ever seen because we weren't getting what we wanted at all. We were wanting a heartbeat. And we didn't receive that that day. But what we did receive was God's presence in the midst of it. We have to worship regardless of the circumstance because he is worthy. He is good. And when our heart is postured in that place, he can use you. He can do amazing things in your life. Because worship, it's not about performance. It's about posture. What happened in that moment, Renee wasn't performing for God. Look, I'm so spiritual in the midst of it. The only thing that made sense was a posture shift. 
I don't understand. I don't get this. I don't have the answers. I, I can't even express my pain, but I'm going to fall to my knees. And I'm going to submit my pain. I'm going to submit my heart. I'm going to submit all of it to you. And at your feet, you can move. You can do something. I, it's out of my control, but I'm just still going to submit to your control. A posture shift can change everything. And, and, and a heart postured towards God, a heart postured towards worship is a heart that God can use in a mighty way. There's a cool story about this in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And Jesus tells a, a parable. And he says, uh, it says in verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Come on, spiritual disciplines. This is not about earning your righteousness. That's not what we're talking about here. Trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt because they felt so good about their righteousness. That's who he's talking to. And it says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Here he's just using positions in society that people would understand to make a point. The Pharisee standing by himself, or, or the, yeah, yeah, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Not much humility in that statement. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's not about performance. It's about posture. I'm not here to show off to God. I'm not here to remind God how great I am. I'm not here to show off to the congregation how passionate I am about worship. It's not about showcasing how spiritual and righteous you are. Worship is about the posture of saying, God, I am so undeserving. God, even in the midst of all of this pain and hurt, God, you're willing to show up and meet me here. It's the posture of my heart that, the, de, that determines the effectiveness of my worship. Here we start to understand the type of worship Jesus taught about. Because what's the issue in this parable? One man was showing God what he could do, performing for God. God, look at me. Hey, Dad. Woo! Hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Look what I can, I got moves, right? Dad, 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 dad. It's like the kid. Dad, dad, look at me, look at me, look at me, woo! Like, here I am. I'm showing off to you. Look how great I am. God, look what I can do. Well, the other man was asking God to do what only he could do. Big difference. He's going, God, I, I can't become righteous. Look at my sin. Look at my issues. But I'm believing that you love me in the midst of all of it, and I need you to do what only you can do. One is showing God what he could do. The other one's asking God to do what only he can do. It's a massive difference. It's a massive difference. What's the posture when you come in? Are you asking God to do what only a Savior can? Or are you trying to showcase and remind God how spiritual you are so you feel worthy enough to feel righteous? 
No, you were made righteous. You were made righteous. See, the discipline of worship is saying, I'm not just coming to church to do these things. I'm doing this every time I enter the presence of God. Do you know that every single day there should be worship? There should be moments in his presence. There should be this move where you, you step in and the wonder comes and the reverence and the awe and you sit in the, the glory of who God is and you worship him. If you are the focus, though, it's not true worship. There are times where you come to God and say, hey, God, I have a prayer of petition, and I need to make my requests known to you. I got some stuff going on I want to talk to you about. I'm not saying that's bad, but that's not worship. We're talking about worship. Worship's not about you. It's about him. And it's about you getting away from your junk and coming up on a higher level and seeing it from a different vantage point and shifting your perspective. It's not about you. Well, pastor, I just, you know, I don't like that new worship song, <laughs> you know. I just feel like that's a little too different or, or out there. No, 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 it's not about you. Can you worship in spite of preference? Can you worship in spite of performance? Believe it or not, this is what's so funny. We, well, always the worship's always the area you get feedback, you know, because everyone's got lots of preferences. What's funny to me is, 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 is I love, like when we sang an older hymn today, I loved it. Oh my gosh, I love it because the words are powerful. For me, I'm looking for words that help me usher in the presence of God. It's not about style. It's not about those things. It is about, man, I'm looking for words that, that help me to remind myself to look upon God and not upon my problems. I'm looking for the type of things that are going to help me usher in that place of worship in my heart. It put, worship puts things, puts everything, in fact, into perspective. It reminds us of the magnitude of our Heavenly Father. And can I tell you, with true and pleasing worship, your problems begin to decrease. At least your view of problems begin to decrease. Your perspective on your problems begin to decrease. And God's purpose begins to increase. And all of a sudden, you start to get on mission with His purpose. You feel small. You don't feel small when you worship. Maybe you're not engaging that wonder. You feel small, but that shouldn't make you feel insignificant. See, when I'm out in God's creation, I tend to worship really, really well. Come on, this week I'm getting away. I'm going to Montana. I plan to worship out there on that river trying to learn how to fly fish. I'm going to be worshiping while I fly fish because I'm going to look up and go, God, look at this. Wow, and I'm going to feel small. But here's the thing. When I feel small in God's creation, I feel small, but I feel significant. Because how could the God who created all of this care about me so intimately that he wants a personal relationship with? All it does is place a greater significance on me. The greater God is, the more significance that places on me because he loves me. He cares about me. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's incredible that our creator would do that. So as the band comes on up, let me recap. Let me recap. And then we're going to have a special moment here at the end. Can you bring me water, Eric? Let me recap. First thing I want you to remember, and again, this Wednesday night, we will, uh, we're going we're gonna to do a deep dive on this. We saw um, dozens of people come on out last Wednesday um, in the Life Center to really dive into silence and solitude. Same thing, 7 p.m. this Wednesday night in the Life Center. Join us if you want to dive deeper into this. The first thing I want you to remember is that worship requires your wonder. Worship is initiated by you and it's reciprocated by God. It requires this wonder. Get your wonder back. Get your wonderment on the goodness and the glory of God back. Re-engage that youthful wonder. Re-engage the expectation of what's to come with God. 
Come on, church culture loves catchy phrases. We say things like, the best is yet to come. But yet, how important is it to believe that there is something better coming that engages your wonder? God, it's a mystery what's going to happen next. It's a mystery what's going to happen next. Again, second thing, your worship, it's not about your wants, your personal wants. Worship isn't about getting God in touch with our problems. It's about us connecting with his purpose. It's not about reminding God of all the things in your life. It's about you looking beyond those things and engaging with his purpose for your life. And the third thing is worship is about posture, not performance. You're not here to perform for God. You don't go to God to perform for God. You go to God with a heart postured towards him. Make it about him. He is worthy of your worship, church. Worship isn't our moment to say, hey, dad, look at me. It's a moment for him to say, son, look at me. It's a big difference. So, hey, dad, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, woo. It's him saying, hey, son, 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 get your eyes off that. Stop, stop, stop. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. It's pretty hard to teach on worship and not talk about King David. And there's one of the most famous psalms, is Psalm 139, because it is a perfect example of worship. And I'm going to read this as the band plays behind me, but I want to first kind of help you understand this passage a little bit, because David actually perfectly exemplifies what I just preached. As I read, listen, verses 1 through 6 deal with the omniscience of God. God's infinite understanding. See, that's the funny thing. When you get your eyes off your problems, it's not because you don't think he cares, that he doesn't care. No, he's bigger than your problems. He's already got the solutions. He's already got it figured out. See, in our case, when, when you lose a child, we need to get our eyes on the reality that he promises us a family and that there's better days to come because he sees that family. He sees the five of us. He sees that moment, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm getting my eyes off that pain and I'm getting my eyes onto his purpose, which is to be a dad. It's the omniscience of God. It's the first focus. His infinite understanding. Verses 7 through 12 focus in on his omnipresence. His omnipresence. That he's infinitely present. That he's here. That he's with us. He's everywhere. He's in the midst of us. That we're two or more gathered. He's there. Come on, he's there. He's there. Focuses on his omnipresence. And then verses 13 through 18 deal with his omnipotence, his infinite power. Do you believe that he's got infinite power? That he's got right, a cattle on a thousand hills? That he's overcome death, hell, and the grave? And he's got power over your circumstance. Do you believe it? Do you believe he's got infinite power? And then at the very end... David actually says a personal prayer. After he spends verses upon verses just basking in the omni of God, right? This, this, this all-encompassing, all-knowing, all-amazing Father. He, he, he does it. Then he says a prayer. So I want to read this out as you stand all across this place. And I want you to listen. I want this to be a moment of worship. I can't sing this or I would. I'm going to read it for everybody's benefit. And I want this to be a moment where we worship. If you want to follow along, you've got Bibles, you've got a, 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 a phone, you can open it up to Psalm 139. 
says this, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Come on, the omniscience of God. Take a moment and just dwell on the omniscience of God. He sees you. He knows you. He understands. He's right there. He knows. He knows. He knows your innermost thoughts. Come on, He's omniscient. He's omniscient. Then in verse 7 it says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness it's not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Come on, His omnipresence. Dwell on it. He's with you. He's with you in this space. He's with you in your bedroom. He's with you with those dark thoughts. He's with you in the loneliness. He's with you in the hurt. He's with you in the pain. Wherever you go, He is there. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul, my soul knows it very well. My frame was hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your books were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Come on, would you think for a moment on the omnipotence? Would you submit the reality that he is all powerful? He is above. He is not below. He's got the power. He's got the wholeness. He's got the healing. He can bring it to you. He can bring it to you right now. He can do it. He can do it. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them. I count them my enemies. But search me, O oh God. Here, come on right now. Say this prayer. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me. Lead me, God, in the way everlasting. Come on, just would you begin.